Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. If you could open up your Bibles to the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And over in Italy, it's known as the Malachi Papers. The book of Malachi. Chapter 1. Okay, let's cover a little bit about Malachi. The name means my messenger. And that's the title of tonight's message is My Messenger. And I want you to try to see as we look at chapter 1 tonight, the parallels between possibly you and the things that we're studying tonight, or our country, if you see any parallels between, in the two things that we're looking at. Not much is known of Malachi. There's not anything really except this book. His main message in chapter 1 is the love of God. This is the final message before Jesus comes on to the scene. This is the last book of the Old Testament. John the Baptist, some consider, is the last of the Old Testament prophets. But there's a 400-year period of silence after Malachi writes this letter. There's 400 years before anything is heard about the Lord again, except what they have in the previous writings that we know as the Old Testament. Interesting with Malachi, not much is known. You and I might feel that about ourselves. We're just regular people. You know, we have a normal day most of the time, go about our business. No, we're not famous. Malachi, there's really not much known about him, but what was important to him was his faithfulness and not his fame. And that's a pretty good word for you and I, that we just want to be faithful. We don't care if anybody knows about us. We just want to be faithful to the things of God. I believe that one of the things that God wants us to get from this study in Malachi is he wants us to have a hat. He wants us to put a hat on. And that hat is an acronym for hope, alertness, and trust. That we always need to have a hat on, and that hat represents our hope in the things of God, an alertness that Jesus Christ could come back anytime or that you and I could go meet him anytime, one-on-one. And a trust. A trust in the things that you already know about Jesus Christ. Not the things you can't figure out yet. 
not the things that are causing you a dilemma in your life, but the trust in the things you already know about the character and person of Jesus. That's so important for us. Especially through hard times when we can't figure things out. Just remember the things God has already done in your life up to this point in your life. Most of us know this story in Matthew 25, 4 about the ten virgins and the oil lamps. And if you remember, five of them kept oil in their lamp and five did not. And when the bridegroom came, five were ready. The other five were not and they were trying to borrow oil from the five who had the oil. And those five that had the oil said, no, we can't give it to you. And remember, oil in the Scriptures represents the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit in you and When you receive Jesus into your heart, God indwells you by His Holy Spirit. And He wants to continually overflow you with His Spirit, but there is a free will that you have to make the choice of allowing God to feed you on a daily basis with the manna of His Word, with with the bread of His Word, that you nourish yourself and take it in to keep your lamp, your vessel, your body filled with oil, which is His Holy Spirit. God is never done with any of us. He's always working. There's a process of sanctification going on where He's continually setting you apart and me apart for works of service while we're on this earth to minister to other people. You, like Malachi, are a messenger. You're carrying a message to a dying world, spiritually speaking. Medicine today, prescription medicine, billion-dollar business throughout the world. And you have the one pill that will save people's lives. Did you know that? The gospel. You have the gospel. People are dying. It's a one pill that will give them life for eternity. For eternity. You're the messenger. And the people that God sends in your path, whether it's family, friends, people on the job, people in a supermarket, people in the church, You're God's messenger, just like Malachi. As we're building up to get into the actual verses in Malachi, I want to set a what's going on at this time in the history of Malachi. When you think about why did God need prophets? Why did they come onto the scene? And again, think of the parallels of our world today our church today, and what was going on in Malachi's time. In Nehemiah, which Pastor Joe is teaching on right now on Sundays, he hasn't got into chapter 9 yet or chapter 10, but what I want to do is just highlight uh, several verses 
in Nehemiah so you get a better picture, so we paint a better picture of what Malachi is dealing with. In verse 38 of chapter 9, which is the last verse of Nehemiah, it says, And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. This is one of the things that the leaders, the spiritual leaders, made a promise. They made a covenant with the Lord, and they sealed it. It was an oath. It was a promise to the living God. In verse, another verse in Nehemiah 9 and 10. These joined with their brothers, their nobles, and entered into a cursed and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes that we would not give our daughters as wives to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Also we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, which was in the temple, there was a table of showbread. But for us, remember, Jesus is the bread of life. In the Old Testament, the showbread was a type of Christ. If you were here Sunday, that's one of the areas we could have went to. That the bread in the temple was a type of Christ, the bread of life. Bread for you and I nourish us. It feeds our physical body. It fills our stomach. So much more, Jesus Christ, the bread of life, fills our spiritual stomachs and nourishes us as we take it in. For the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offerings of the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the set feast, for the holy things, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God, according to our fathers' houses, at the appointed times, year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all our fruit, of all the trees, year by year to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle as it is written in the law, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the new wine and the oil to the priests, to the storerooms, of the houses of our God and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. And the priests, the descendants of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouses. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offerings of the grain of the new wine and the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. Why did he read all those things to us tonight? <laughs> I want you to get a feel 
of what these people committed to. And these were just words that I read to you, but they had to do this all the time. They actually had to do the physical part of what I just read to you. So if you felt that way just in that minute or so of my reading, can you imagine having to do this on a continual basis? And this sets this tone for what we're going to see in Malachi tonight. But please understand the parallel that could be in your life and my life and our church life. That things become ritualistic instead of relational. They can never become ritual. It's got to be a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. That's his desire for us, not ritual. As most of us know, again, we, we know that the temple, the second temple was finished around 515 B.C. Malachi probably came on the scene sometime after the temple, second temple was built. And this is important because if you remember, for such a long time there was no temple. People were in captivity in Persia. Okay, in other lands, they were taken prisoner by a stronger country. So they didn't have their temple that they always identified because God's presence was in the temple. Generation went by with no temple. Then finally, under Nehemiah, the temple was constructed. Now there was a place again for them to go and worship their God. How great news that you and I have that we don't have to just wait on Wednesday and Sunday to sit before our God. That we can do it laying down in our bedrooms or sitting at our tables. We can commune with the Lord anytime we want in any place we want. It wasn't always that way. They had to go to where the Spirit of God was. If you're a believer here tonight, you have the living Spirit inside of you. Where you go, He goes. That is awesome. Do we take that for granted? Are we too used to that? Do we forget how it was when we first received Jesus into our hearts? May it never be so that, God, I just pray that we all have that fresh feeling, that joy of our salvation as we did that first day, and that we never lose it. That is a continual renewing and a freshness that comes into our spirit. Some negatives during Malachi's time. Picture that new temple. How, how excited the people were, especially those who had come back from captivity. But understand, only about 50,000 people came back. The rest wanted to stay in the pagan lands. Only 50,000 came back home. But boy, what about those 50,000? How excited they must have been when they saw the ground breaking and the, and the structure being built. And then finally, when there was worship and sacrifice and they heard the singing again. What a great time that must have been. But this is a time that has faded. And now Malachi comes onto the scene. 
that intensity, that freshness, that joy was not there anymore. Things became ritualistic. So here's some of the negatives that Malachi is dealing with and what God has sent Malachi to deal with and try to impact the people in his land. Worship collapsed. Worship collapsed. Tonight we sang some songs, four of them. How many times do we drift? How many times are we thinking about maybe something that happened today? Something that we have to do first thing in the morning. And we lose that concentration. Pray that God just gives you the ability to worship Him. It's nothing but Him. All we see is Jesus. I'm saying this to myself as well as to you because I know how my mind drifts. But to give our all to Jesus, I believe is a supernatural thing that God wants all of us to be able to do. So ask Him in prayer talked already about ritual, things became ritualistic. The offerings, the attending, the sacrifice, the things that the people had to do over and over and over again. They were becoming bored with it. They were becoming disobedient. They were divorcing their Jewish wives and they were moving and marrying foreign wives. Something that is totally against God's law that he had set down. They started failing to give tithes to the church for the upkeep of the temple, for the Levites would receive some of the tithes for their livelihood. So as the tithes went down, guess what started to happen? Some of the Levite priests started leaving the temple. The temple started to disintegrate. It started getting dirty. It wasn't kept up like it used to be. That fervor, that excitement in that one generation started dying down as new people were getting older, as the kids were getting older. There was a lot of social injustice. There was ill treatment of various age groups. People were backsliding. The priests became very worldly. They were tied up in world things. And the people followed their standards. Pray for your pastors and elders. Keep us in prayer, please. The people that minister, you who minister to the people here in this church, pray for one another. You're a target. There's a target on your back. The enemy wants to make you and I ineffective to what he's called us to do. The people believed and looked forward to God's promises. What happened? What took place that they lost their excitement for the things of God? Well, they believed and looked forward to God's promises. Back at this time, the book of Haggai and Zechariah, a lot of promises of God for a time of population explosion, for fruit and honey and the land of 
the land of milk and honey to just explode. They were looking forward to a king like David on the throne again. But at this time of Malachi, they were still <clears throat> subservient to the Persian king. They weren't their own nation. They were allowed to do things in their nation, but they still had an answer. They weren't a sovereign nation. They were excited about God's promises. They held on to God's promises, but they weren't seeing them be, being fulfilled. So they became disillusioned and discouraged. Are you here tonight disillusioned and discouraged as a result of waiting on the Lord and things not taking place yet in your life? That's very possible for anyone. I'm going through something right now that you could become very discouraged and disillusioned if you look at the situation. But we can't look at the situation. We've got to look at the situation solver, Jesus Christ. We've got to keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, not on that problem that is distracting us or trying to consume us. The problem with the promises back in Malachi's day, they were future promises. They were future promises. What are some of the future promises that God has in store for you and me? Will you and I be living when the rapture takes place? Will we be caught up together in the air? Or will some of us go on to meet the Lord one-on-one? -on -one? through what the world calls, calls death, but our love letters call sleep. We don't know, right? We don't know. And that's one of the things I try to say at the beginning of the message tonight. When you're not sure of some of the things that are going on in your life, cling to the things you know about Jesus, the things that he's already shown you as you continue your great adventure with Jesus and he reveals in his time those things that he wants you to know. Because that's how he works. He'll give it to you when you're ready to receive it. Any kid would be psyched to have 1,000 gumballs at one time. But you know a few at a time is good enough for that person to handle. It'll be too much of an overload to give them all of them at once. In Zechariah 14.9 it says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be. The Lord is one and his name is one. The people were being faced with many gods, many philosophies. Things that they saw with their eyes, but we're supposed to walk not by sight, but by faith. Not by what we see. God has given us a clue. Don't go caught up in what you see. Walk by faith and not by sight. 
The enemy will use sight to try to distract you. He will try to use your senses to try to get you off the mark, to fall in sin and get your eyes off of Jesus Christ. Your walk and my walk is a faith walk. Faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word, reading it, listening to it, digesting it. That's going to strengthen your faith for those times that will come in your life to test your faith. One of the promises in God's word, the people shall dwell in it and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. That was one of the promises back in these days. Still hasn't happened yet. Many generations have gone to be with the Lord or elsewhere, and it still has not been fulfilled. Jerusalem is not safely inhabited. They're still at war within that nation. So these people in Malachi's time, when things did not take place, they lost hope and turned from God. Have you lost hope? Have you turned from the promises of God? Are you off balance, spiritually speaking, because of situations in your life? Remember, they expected health, wealth, and prosperity. They expected that land flowing with milk and honey. Malachi believed in God's love for Israel. He believed it. Do you? Do you believe in God's love for this world? As John 3.16 says. Now, most prophets in the Old Testament would make proclamations or give sermons. But you're going to see in a few minutes that Malachi's message is a question and answer format. There's seven question and answer formats. In the book of Malachi, we'll probably see three tonight. What happens is God makes a statement and the people come back with a question challenging God. And God comes back to them with evidence. So again, God makes a statement. The people, in their arrogance, come back with a challenging question. And God gives them evidence. One of the things you're going to see tonight is how they show disrespect to God by questioning His love. You may have many questions. I have my head have many questions, spiritually speaking. But one question we should never worry about or have is how much God loves you and me. Just look at the cross. Just take a view of the cross at what Jesus went through for you and me, and he did not have to do it. He didn't have to do it. He did it out of love for you and me. And I love that statement. It wasn't the nails that held him on the cross. It was his love for you and me and the world. That's what kept him up there. John 14, 15 says that if we love God, we will obey His Word. We will obey Him. Jesus, the Word of God. 
Are you falling in love with Jesus over and over and over again? If you're not sure or you can say no, you've got his love letters right there. Those love letters are written just to you and to me. They're individual love letters that has your personality woven right in them and God just reaching out to grab your heart. Expose yourself to his love letters and you'll find yourself falling deeper in love with him over and over again. The sins of the people were rampant at this time and God was looking for repentance. How do you and I do with repentance? One of the things that God put on my heart lately was each day, and this has been only a couple days, to just repent before Him. Inner attitudes, outer attitudes, things I'm doing or not doing. Okay, let's jump in. We're going to look at um, verses 1 through 5 right now. Malachi 1, verses 1 through 5. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. Let's take a look at Esau for a minute, Jacob's brother, from whom the Edomites descend from. Esau, okay, from Esau, family tree, comes the Edomites that we read about here in those first five verses. In Genesis 25, beginning with verse 27. It says, So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom because Edom means red. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and a stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way, Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau and Jacob were twins. 
They were in the womb, of course, at the same time, but Esau was the firstborn of the twins. So he, under Jewish law, receives the birthright, receives the blessing from his father to carry on the generations. Well, we see here, because he was physically hungry, that his spiritual birthright, he was willing to trade away to his twin brother, Jacob. And we see here some things in the first five verses where, remember I said, God makes a statement. The statement in verse 2 is, I have loved you, says the Lord. And then they come back and say, well, in what way have you loved us? And God comes back and says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now those are pretty harsh words, hated. If you study it and break it down a little more, simply means he's loved him less. But why does God love someone less, you might say? You've got to understand that you and I live in a time continuum where everything is based on time. Everything. The watch is back there. I have a stopwatch going up here. We're locked into a time frame. We've got to be somewhere later tonight or tomorrow. We're time. We know. You know what I'm talking about. Well, God is outside of time. God's outside of time. He sees everything. So He knows the choices that Esau is going to make right up until the day he dies. He knows the choices Jacob is going to make right up until the day he dies. His favor falls on Jacob because he knows the final outcome of their lives. You, today, if you're a believer here in Jesus, if you're absent from your body, you're present with the Lord. He has shown you favor. If you can read His Word and understand it, He has shown you favor. You're His son. You're His daughter. You're called. You're His messenger. You're His Malachi. We all are who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. This, in verse 3, But Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. You won't come across any Edomites on your job or in your school. There won't be any Edomites if you go over to the Middle East. Edom doesn't exist anymore. Right now, the territory that it used to be in is controlled by Jordan the nation of Jordan. That's where Edom used to be. And you can see in verse 4, even though Edom has said, yeah, we have been impoverished, but we're going to return and build the desolate places. We're going to rise up from our position and we're going to rebuild. And notice what God says at the end of verse 4. They may build it, but I'm going to throw it down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. 
interesting statement here beyond the border of Israel. Because what's going to take place one day hasn't happened yet. Is the whole world is going to pay homage to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as he sits physically on the throne in Jerusalem during a thousand-year reign where everything will be governed by not the Republicans, not the Democrats, not by an independent party, but by the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. They will pay him homage. And remember, one day what's going to happen too, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And of course, we get the opportunity to do that here while we're still on this earth. In verse 4, we see that God is against Edom. It doesn't matter what the Edomites wanted to do or what they tried to will to do. didn't matter what they knew. The bottom line is that God was against them. For you and I in Romans 8.31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? And whoever is against you, who cares? Because God is for you and me. The whole world can be against us. And as long as we have Jesus, we win. We win. Against all odds. And he shows that, doesn't he, throughout the Old Testament? The odds that were always against the Israelites, yet they conquered their enemies because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to finish with this thought. There was an Indian from New Mexico that came to a church and he heard the message and God grabbed his heart. And in this particular church, after the message was given, they had their offering for the people who consistently came to the church. Remember, this Indian was his first time in the church. When the tray, the offering plate, came to him, he made a motion with his hand like this. And the guy who had the tray didn't really understand. And the Indian went like this. And the guy lowered it again. And he went like this, and he lowered it again, until finally the offering plate was on the ground, and the Indian stepped in it and looked at the man and said, that's all I have. To our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's all he wants nothing else. Let's pray.
You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.